I was making a list this morning with the Lord of all the things he's done in this space. And it's so good. Praise God. So many amazing outreaches. A lot of you guys weren't here for the outreaches with the apartments across the street, but man, so much fun. So many hot dogs given away. So many bouncy houses destroyed. And um, so many people getting saved. And so many healings. At one point, uh, Makobi and his crew would walk down through the apartments, and they'd be like, oh, hey, there's the guy that heals me. Hey, get over here. So-and-so's sick. Come. And it, it, people getting healed left and right. Um, I was thinking about Tommy Welchel. When he came in, the last living link to the Azusa Street Revival, he came in, and he's got a special anointing for seeing people get pregnant. And John and Candace hadn't been able to get pregnant. Tommy Welcher prayed for them, and I'll never forget. The stage was here. It was just this little room, and he, we were about here. was a front row of chairs, and I'll never forget. Tommy Welcher stares him in the eyes, and he goes, Guys, this is serious. When I pray for you, this is going to happen. So if you don't want a baby, you need to not get prayed for right now. And it was like, whoa, man, are y'all sure? And they're like, yeah, we're sure. Bam, prayed for him a couple months later. Little baby Lillian's coming, and now she's doing great, so healthy and amazing. Um, Abner Suarez coming in. Awesome. <laughs> Fire of God. So many prophetic words through Ralph and uh, Abner. And uh, Timothy Berry and Elizabeth coming in here, and just so many people getting filled up with the Spirit and getting encouraged and lit on fire to pray for the sick and hear words of knowledge and then the global interns coming in and helping us reach out to people. Man, like, the Lord's done so many good things in this house. And I was thinking through, um, I didn't get, like, an official number, but I was thinking through just even the finances over the last two years in this house. You guys have given away tens of thousands of dollars directly to advance the kingdom of God. Like, not like church, like, not church operations, but, like, two missions. I think it's, like, 20 grand, something like that. I can't remember, over two years. Um, same thing for giving to people who are in need, helping pay rent, pay the bills, give food. That kind of, I mean, just thousands and thousands of dollars flowed through this house. The glory of the Lord flowed through this house. And I really believe when the Lord spoke to us about the church, I felt like he said, I want to do something fresh in southwest Oklahoma City. And you're invited to be a part of it. You don't have to. You can go do your own thing, but you're invited to be a part of it. And the Lord reminded me of that this morning. And I really felt like I said, you're not the first people I've asked, and you may not be the last. It's your choice if you let me do what I want to do. And um, it's been a long time since I remembered that he said that. But I think all of this season here was to get us ready for Southwest Oklahoma City, in a sense. You know, more is, but now we're moving into legitimate Southwest Oklahoma City. And I think he's just been preparing us and getting us ready and establishing DNA and purpose and letting his way happen here in a safe environment. And I'm really excited for what he's, what he's doing next. So everything he, happened, everything he did here, exponentially more over there is what I'm believing. So, man, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Okay, um, let's jump into Galatians chapter 4. Open up your Bibles or your phones. Galatians chapter 4. Again, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. 
And I'm excited about the message today. Today's message primarily is about the, the spirit of sonship and the father heart of God. So open up to chapter 4. We're going to try to get all the way through chapter 4. Y'all ready? Are you ready? ready. Say, I'm ready. ready. I'm going to need your help today. So will jump on board quick. Verse 1, as you know, when children are promised something, they won't forget it until they receive it. Who knows that? My child, Jack, he has a memory like so sharp and clear. And if you tell him that you're going to do something for him, he will not forget ever in his whole life. <laughs> I remember like uh, six months ago, a year ago, Jonathan had, had brought the kids donuts a couple times. And this one day specifically, he was like, oh, Jack, next week I'm going to bring you donuts. And um, we, didn't, we didn't know that he said that. Jack didn't mention it the whole week long. But the next week, Sunday comes around, John Jonathan walks in the door, no donuts in hand, and Jack is like, <laughs> Jack did not forget that he was promised donuts. And so, in the same way, when kids are promised something, they don't forget until they receive it. In a similar way, God has promised our ancestors something even better. But as long as an heir is a minor, he's not really much different than a servant, although he's the master over all of them. So he's saying, if you have a king that is king of the nation, but he's six years old, there's not much difference between him and any other child because they're not going to let a six-year-old make serious decisions about the nation. He's under watch, under key, with trustees helping him make wise decisions. So he says he's not really much different than a servant, although he's the master over all of them. Verse 2, For until the time appointed by the Father... When he comes of age, the child is under the domestic supervision of the guardians of the estate. So it is with us. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the regulations and rituals of religion. You guys say that with me. Say the regulations and rituals of religion. Paul says before Jesus, we were enslaved to the regulations and rituals of religion. Do you know that religion enslaves you? Do you know that every religion in the world enslaves those who partake in it? Its rituals and its regulations enslave people, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Do you know that Jesus hates religion? Religion separates people. Religion is all about doing. Do this, do that, check this box, check that box, and then you might be okay before God. But the only way to find out is see him face to face in the end and hope you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. That's religion, and that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is relationship, and it always has been, okay? So religion, it enslaves by its regulations and rituals. Verse 4, but when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law, okay? Jesus had to be born of a woman. He couldn't be born of a man because Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. But he had to be born inside the system of the written law because he had to be inside of it to break free, to, to set us free from that written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say it again. All this was so that he would redeem us and set free all those held hostage to the written law. So do you know that the written law, the Ten Commandments, they held us hostage. 
It was they, we talked last week. Paul explains that the written law was like a jailer. It held us hostage. And do you remember we talked uh, months ago about what did Satan arm himself with? What is Satan's weapon of warfare? God did not give Satan any weapons, but Satan armed himself with a specific weapon. The weapon that Satan chose to arm himself with was the written, the handwritten requirements of the law. So Satan saw the law come down, and he saw, ha, nobody's going to be able to fulfill that. I'm going to arm myself with the law of God and condemn people because they can never live up to the law. And that became his weapon against us, shaming us, condemning us, trying to separate us from God. But it says here, that Jesus came to redeem us and set everybody free who was held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. Say hallelujah. Jesus did it so we could receive our freedom and full legal adoption. I love this. I love the way this reads. Okay, let's talk about adoption for a minute. I was adopted. I'm an only child, okay? In America, there's a great piece of adoption. If you want to adopt a child, you have to go to extreme lengths to be able to adopt a child. You have to have incredible intentionality in your heart to be able to legally adopt a child. It's not the same with a birth, uh, a natural born child. Doesn't take that many great lengths, you know, like it's not that hard to have a child, as you know with so many teenagers who get pregnant, right? Like, oh, shoot, that was easy. Oh, no, what do we do now, right? Adoption's not the same. Adoption, it takes tremendous amounts of money, tremendous amounts of time, tremendous amount of uh, interviews and inspections, and it's a process. And if you want to adopt somebody from another country, just fasten your seatbelt. Like, holy smokes, you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, tremendous amounts of time. And if you want to adopt somebody from a different planet, that much more so, okay? So, in America, if you're adopted, uh, we'll come back to the planet in a second. Hold, I know you can't adopt a Martian. Okay, in America... When you adopt a child, you waive your right to ever disown that child. So this is kind of cool. So if I had a natural-born brother and I was adopted into my family, my parents could get mad at my brother and they could disown him and say, you are no longer my child. But it is illegal for my parents to ever disown me. It is against the law. Because I'm a fully adopted. So in a sense, I have even better rights than the natural born child. Okay? The other thing about adoption is when you're adopted into a household, you immediately receive all the benefits of being like a natural born child. So let's say that I had a, uh, a natural born brother. And my dad, if you've ever met him, you probably don't know this, but my dad loves Santa Claus. All right? He's got a Santa obsession, okay? Um, in, our, in our last house, it was very prevalent. He loves the old-timey Santa figurines. 
He loves Santa Christmas plates. He loves Santa lights. He loves Santa Christmas trees. He loves Santa pillows and blankets and shirts and everything Santa Claus. He loves Santa Claus. When I was a child, we would go through the antique malls and we would walk booth to booth to booth scanning for Santa Claus. Where's Santa? It's in the middle of summer. Santa Claus. Oh, son, look at this Santa Claus. I'm like, Wow, Dad, that's a Santa Claus. Cool. And my house was full of Santa Claus, all right? All year round, proud displays of Santa Claus. Thousands of figurines. (laughs) So if I had a natural-born brother, he has full rights to everything in the house. If I'm an adopted child, I have full rights. I have equal rights to the natural born son. That means that the natural born son would have full inheritance rights to every single Santa Claus in the house, and me as an adopted child would have 100% equal rights to all that's inheritable in that house. Every single Santa Claus, ha, it's mine. (laughs) You want that Santa Claus? Well, I have equal rights to it too. We're going to fight about it because I have 100% legal claim to everything inside of that household because I'm adopted, okay? Verse 6, and so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. I want to read five and six again. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we're his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts. Okay. Now, If I'm adopted and I have equal right to a natural-born child to everything in my father's house, and you are adopted into the house of God, who's the natural-born child of God? Jesus. So you, as an adopted child in the house of God, also have full legal right to everything that the natural-born child has as well. Okay, let it sink in for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, he has inheritance. He has access to everything in the Father's house. And you, God went to great, great, great lengths to adopt you. He thought of this even before the world was created, and he adopted you from another planet, basically. He went to great lengths to adopt you into his house so that you would be a fully adopted child of God. And you today, because of your adoption in him, have all the same rights as Jesus Christ himself. Everything Jesus inherits as your brother, you get to inherit because you have full legal adoption rights. Amen? And it's too good to be true. I think God knew that in our little brains we wouldn't understand what a huge deal this was. You know, what? 
I'm adopted by God. This makes no sense. And so the solution to that was then to release the spirit of sonship upon us so that we would begin to comprehend what in the world this really means. I am a child of God. It just blazes past your brain. So God releases the spirit of sonship, and it comes more and more and more and more. The spirit of sonship is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Some people receive the spirit of sonship in a moment. Bam! Spirit of sonship download from heaven and they understand the fullness. Some people, it takes years and years and years and it's little bit upon little bit upon little bit upon little bit. More and more and more every year of their whole life. I think it's probably a mix for most people. But many, many, many believers will go their whole life without ever receiving the spirit of sonship. It's like receiving the gift of righteousness. God gives it to everybody, but not everybody receives the gift of righteousness through Jesus, right? And so the same thing is true with the spirit of sonship. Jesus, God and Jesus have given the spirit of sonship to everybody, but not everybody receives it. And my big question today is, have you received fully the spirit of sonship into your own heart? And if not, today's the day to draw the line in the sand and to say, yes, I receive the gift of the spirit of sonship, that I am your adopted child in the kingdom of God. Amen? So for me personally, um, I got baptized when I was seven. I, you know, said the prayer when I was six or seven, something like that in in the Baptist church, but I probably knew Jesus as long as I can remember. As long as I can remember as a tiny little kid, I would pray to Jesus. I love Jesus. I, I asked him to come help me. I knew that he died on the cross for my sins and that he was with me, okay? But it wasn't until I was in eighth grade when I began to receive the spirit of sonship. In eighth grade, Somebody had taught me to start journaling out my thoughts. And so I was journaling out my thoughts. And I was in my room, and I was going through puberty and adolescence, and I was angry at everything in the whole wide world. I had Metallica blazing on my stereo in my room 10 o'clock at night, screaming, right? And I'm like mad. I could have been mad that night. I could have been mad at the wall. I could have been mad at the light. I could have been mad at, and you name it, I could have been mad at it, right? But this night, specifically, I was mad at my dad. Oh, my dad, I'm I'm angry. I hate this. He never does this. He never does that. And I began to list out journals. Somebody taught me to journal. So I'm listing out, oh, I hate my dad. He never plays soccer with me. He never plays, helps me with my homework. He never helps me with my math homework. He, He does this. He does it. And I'm just listing out all this angry things, right? Lord Jesus, we pray for all the junior hires. Bless them to get through it quickly with joy and peace. (laughs) Fill them with your spirit quickly. So that's this night. Just imagine the scene. Metallica blazing. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm angrily writing my feelings on the paper. And so um, as I finish writing, this voice pops in my head that I'd never heard before. But clear as day, this voice says, why do you think he does that? And I was like, what was that? I knew immediately that's the Lord. Well, I'd never heard the Lord, but I knew that's God. And immediately, I didn't even think about it. God asked me a question, and immediately my brain went to this scenario. And I, I saw pictures of my grandfather, my dad's dad, who I never personally met. I never knew him. As far as I know, I never met him. I never knew him. He was a bad dude, and he was not a good dad. 
and he did bad things. And I began to have these thoughts of how bad of a father he was to my dad. And I began to have empathy and compassion in my heart just supernaturally downloaded to me. And as I began to think about these things, kind of like saw several pictures, and then the Lord spoke to me again, clear as day. He loves you. He's doing the best he knows how. He doesn't know any better. And I was impacted deeply. I thought, wow, never, never had that thought in my whole life. Oh, my goodness, wow. That's true. He loves me very much. He's doing the best he knows how. He just doesn't know how to do any better. And the Lord, he spoke to me. He said, knowing that, can you let your dad off the hook? And in my mind, just I could see this like fishing hook. And so I'm taking him off the hook. God said, can you let him off the hook? I said, yeah, I'll let him off the hook. And God said to me, from this day forward, I want you to take your dad off the hook. And I want you to put me on that hook. From this day forward. Everything you just wrote down about the reasons you are mad at your dad, I want you to demand that I come and I fulfill that role in your life as daddy. Every time you want somebody to come play soccer with you, you demand that I come and I be your daddy while you play soccer. Every time you need help with your math homework, demand that I come because I want to be your daddy. I want to fill that role of daddy in your heart. Let me come into your heart and fill the role of his daddy. Every time you want encouragement, every time you want a, a lullaby, whatever it is, everything on the paper from this day forward, put me on the hook because I want to be tested by you because I want to be your daddy. And in that moment, God released to me this gift of the, the spirit of sonship. It had been offered to me before, but in this moment, in my eighth grade brain, I said yes. I accepted the gift. I accepted that spirit of sonship. And I don't know how this works, but from that day forward, my whole life completely changed. Everything changed. So I'd go to school, and, and I would just test God on what he told me to do. And I would say, yes, okay, come be my daddy at lunch whatever that means. And I'd be out in the backyard and I'd, I'd kick the soccer ball at the brick wall and I'd like destroy the gutter that was right in the middle of the wall. And I'd be kicking the soccer ball. Come be my daddy now, right? What? That makes no sense. And I'd sit and read the Bible. Come be my daddy now. And slowly he'd begin to show up and reveal himself and speak to me and be with me. And ever since that day in eighth grade until now, my life has been a life full of a child walking with his daddy, following him down a good path. The word prosperity, it means following down a good path. My life has been full of prosperity. God leading me down a good path as a dad takes his kid on an adventure. And I've had so many adventures, so many amazing, crazy things that you should not do. And the Lord says, let's do this. And I say, okay, Daddy, let's go. And I trust him like a daddy, and he shows up in the most beautiful ways. And to this day, I've never once regretted anything that my daddy took me on or challenged me in. And very truly, as honestly as I can say it, in that day, God became my daddy and he's never once failed me as the most amazing daddy in the whole wide world. 
So that's the big question for the day is, have you had that moment? And probably you've had several along the way. But today I want to put a stake in the ground even more so. And at the end of our time, we're going to put that stake in the ground and let that happen even more. He gave us the spirit of sonship so that we would know for sure that we're his true children, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, you're our true Father. Verse 7. Now we're no longer slave, we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. Say hallelujah. And because we are his, we can access everything our Father has. For we are one with Jesus, the anointed one. Say, I am one with Jesus. I can access everything in my father's house. So just let it sink in again. Everything that Jesus can access in the heavenly realms in the kingdom of God, because he's the son of the king, you have full legal adoption that God went to tremendous lengths to accomplish. And you have equal access as Jesus Christ himself to everything in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Because we are one with Jesus, the anointed one. I was going to list out all the places where it explains that you are one in Jesus and Jesus is in you. There's too many to list. <laughs> but right now, we are all in Jesus. Right now, we are all sitting next to God on his throne. Right now, we are in Jesus. And right now, Jesus is in us. Hallelujah. Verse 8, before we knew God as our Father and we became his children, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. But now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him, why would we even for a moment consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we're still subject to them? And I love how he says weak and feeble principles of religion because ultimately if you think of every religion in the world, it's founded by weak and feeble principles. I mean, do we really think that if we, if we offer this special incense, that will, that will take care of how we live or how we think? Do we really think if we check off this little religious box, if we do this little duty, that's really going to do it? It's a weak and feeble principle of all religions. It's all based on love and relationship with the Father. Verse 10, why would we want to go backwards into the bondage of religion, scrupulously observing rituals like special days, celebrations of the new moon, annual festivals, and sacred years? I am so alarmed about you that I'm beginning to wonder if my labor and ministry among you was a total waste of time. Verse 12, beloved ones, I plead with you, follow my example and become free from the bondage of religion. Say amen. And that's my encouragement again today. If you have any trace of the bondage of religion in your life today, be like Paul and get rid of it. Be free from the bondage of religion. I once became as one of you, a Gentile. When I lived among you, now become free like me. 
when I first came to minister to you, you didn't do me any wrong. I can't believe that you would do me wrong now. You're well aware that the reason I stayed among you to preach the good news was because of the poor state of my health. And yet you were so kind to me and you didn't despise me in my weakness, even though my physical condition put you through an ordeal while I was with you. Actually, you received me and cared for me as though I were an angel from God, as you would have cared for Jesus, the Messiah himself. And some of you were even willing, if it were possible, to pluck out your own eyes and replace mine. Where is that kind-hearted and free spirit now? Have I really become an enemy because I tell you the truth? There's a little note here in the Passion Translation. It says that Paul likely had an ophthalmic disease. <laughs> ophthalmic. <laughs> Sharon's wording it to me. I can't say it. I can't say aluminum. I can't say ophthalmic. All right. It was an eye problem. It was prevalent in the region, and they say that it was very disgusting to look at, and it was a nasty eye thing. So that's what Paul's talking about, they, they believe. But he says, have I really become an enemy because I tell you the truth? And I just want you to know, the farther you go in deep, real relationship with God as your daddy, and the farther you get from religion, Christianity as a religion, a set of rules, the more people are going to come against you and try to make you an enemy of the gospel, in a sense, okay? Jesus experienced it. Paul experienced it. Anybody who takes a stand on this in a deep way likely is going to come against the spirit of religion, which hates this, okay? And if it happens, don't be freaked out. Don't be worried. Just pray for the people doing it. Ask God to come and take the veil off their eyes that they could see the truth, that they could be free of the bondage of religion. Verse 17, can't you see what these false teachers are doing? They want to win you over so you'll side with them. They want you to divide it from me so that you'll only follow them. Would you call that integrity? Isn't it better to seek excellence and integrity always, not just only when I'm with you? You're my dear children, but I agonize in spiritual labor pains once again until the anointed one will be fully formed in your hearts and become visible through your lives. Verse 20, how I wish I could be there in person to clearly convey my thoughts and change my tone towards you, for I'm truly dumbfounded over what you're doing. Tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave girl and the other by the free woman? Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was a child of the natural realm. But Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit of God, a child of the promise of God. These two women... And their sons express an allegory and become symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai, birthing children into slavery. Children born to Hagar. For Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who we are currently in bondage, who are currently in bondage. Verse 26. In contrast, there's a heavenly Jerusalem above us, which is our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. For it's written, birth forth into gladness. O barren woman with no children, break through with shouts of joy and jubilee, for you are about to give birth. The one who was once considered desolate and barren now has more children than the one who has a husband. Dear friends, just like Isaac, we're now true children. 
who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. And what does the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. It's now so obvious. We're not the children of the slave woman. We're the supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. Amen. Wow. I love it. So Abraham had two children. One, God had spoken the promises of God to Abraham, and Abraham, in his own power and his own self-effort, had a child with his maidservant. It was flesh. It was sin. It was not through faith. It was through self-effort. And God said, no, no, no. That is not how you inherit the promises of God. You will not inherit the promises of God through self-effort. You will not inherit the promises of God through things you do in your flesh. The promises of God are inherited by faith. And it says, I just love the way it says it. So what's the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be the true heir. For the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. So this morning, any trace of self-effort before God, any trace of religion before God, any trace of of flesh, doing things to be right before God, to receive and inherit the promises of God, expel the slave woman and her son. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Every last little tiny bit, get it out. And receive the gift of righteousness that you do not deserve. <laughs> but it was a pure gift because of Jesus. Amen? Okay, so here's how we're going to end. I'm going to turn up some music. And um, we're just going to meet with God for a few minutes, okay? My big challenge today is have you drawn that line in the sand as far as letting God be your daddy, okay? Have you let God become your daddy? I want to encourage everybody. Let's come down to the front. Come and kneel down before the Lord. Come and lay down before the Lord. Come and get before God. I want to pray for us, for the spirit of sonship to be released in a powerful and beautiful way. I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to come and move deeply in our hearts. If you've never had that moment where you put God on the hook to be your daddy, to replace your earthly daddy, and to come and fill that place as your daddy, this morning is your morning for your whole life to change. Amen? So come to the front. Come bow down before the Lord. Come be with Him. Father, this morning we invite you to come be our daddy. Come and highlight any place inside of our hearts where we have not allowed you to be our daddy. Come and fill us up, Father. Come and fill us up. Let us find you in truth as our true daddy. Come this morning. Come this morning. Just keep meeting with the Lord. He put something on my heart I want to share, and then I want to go around and pray for people. And if you feel like the Lord wants you to pray for people too, go for that. But there's a difference between the spirit of sonship and the orphan spirit. 
The opposite of the spirit of sonship is the orphan spirit. It's the spirit of the world. It's the spirit of the enemy who separated himself from God the Father. And the orphan spirit tells you that if you don't take care of it yourself, nobody else is going to take care of it. The orphan spirit is a spirit that tells you if you don't protect yourself, nobody's going to protect you. If you don't provide for yourself, nobody's providing for you. If you don't find your own way, nobody's going to come and help you find your own way. If you don't do it on your own from your own self-effort and pick yourself up by the bootstraps, nobody's going to come and help you do it. It's a sad spirit, and it's a spirit purely of self-effort. It's a lonely spirit that doesn't believe that anybody is on your side or anybody is there to help you. But the spirit of sonship that the Father releases to all of his children is a spirit that understands, I don't have to provide for myself. I don't have to protect myself because my daddy's got it. My daddy protects me. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to provide for myself. My daddy takes care of me. I don't have to put a roof over my head. My daddy does that for me. I don't have to make a meal for myself. My daddy takes care of that for me. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to end up in the right place in my life because my daddy, he would never let me go off the wrong path. He will grab me by the hand and ensure that I get where I'm supposed to be. I don't have to worry if I'm going to have enough because my daddy always gives me enough. So Father, this morning, release that spirit of sonship and we bind the orphan spirit in the name of Jesus. And every single person, we bind the orphan spirit and every trace of the thinking of the orphan, we bind it up and we say, go in the name of Jesus. You are not welcome to speak to us anymore. We will not listen to your lies. We will not listen to your voice. We bind you up and we say go. And we loose the spirit of sonship from heaven this morning in Jesus' name. That there would be no worry. There would be no wondering. There would be no crying out. There would be no fighting and self-effort. And that everybody would understand my daddy's got it. My daddy's got it to release it this morning.